always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Back for the last hour of Green and Growing. It goes by so quickly. Happy to be with you on a Saturday morning. It's kind of gray. It's kind of overcast. About 73 degrees right now. So any of the activities you have planned, you may want to go ahead and get out and do those because of the 40% chance for scattered thunderstorms throughout the day. And I took a nap yesterday afternoon and had all intentions of when I get up from this nap, I'm going to have so much energy and I'm going to clean the bathroom. I'm going to mow the grass, do all that. And I kind of laid in bed playing on my phone. Uh, and started hearing the thunder, and I was like, oh, no, i got to get out there and mow the grass. So I, that got me out of bed super fast. Uh, I'm mowing as it's thundering, but it hadn't started raining, but it started lightning, and I thought, okay, this is stupid. So <laughs> I, I mowed pretty quick. So you may want to be a little bit smarter than me and get those tasks done early. 404-872-0750. Um, I've had a couple of questions and comments from all of you um, in the break. And, and again, my thanks to Becky Griffin for spending that last hour with us. You will hear that conversation again um, in a couple of weeks, the weekend of the Great Georgian Pollinator Census coming up on the 19th and the 20th. I want you to participate. It's 15 minutes out of your day and you really are making a difference, plus the opportunity to really get the kids involved and, and educate them on some of this fun stuff. But um, someone asked, uh, Norm Mitleider was with me in the first hour. We were talking about transplanting trees. If you must this time of year, it's not ideal, but boy, Norm had some really great tips and uh, TLC kind of things to do to the tree once you establish it in its new spot and it doesn't, you know, dry out from uh, heat stress. One of the products he mentioned is Super Thrive. A couple of you asked, what was that? And we're going to double check for sure that it's available at Pike Nursery. I think it is, but Super Thrive was a product that he uses at the roots and uh, sprays sparingly, I believe, on the leaves too to kind of give it that extra boost. Um, and then one of you mentioned, actually, Ian, on the Facebook page, we spoke to uh, Officer Tim Lupa of the Roswell Police Department in the first hour or two. So thankful that he took the time out of his busy day to call and let us know about the Pine Straw Scammer coming through Roswell. Unfortunately, somebody lost $2,700 uh, for Pine Straw. You know, when they say that they're going to install, you know, it's only going to take 10 bales and then you get an invoice for 100 um, and kind of what leg you have to stand on. You've got to report that kind of stuff. Vehicle descriptions, descriptions, the best you you have of the the scammer and all of that to your local police department. And so that was a pine straw scam. It seems like it's a little more easily done uh, with pine straw than other ground covers. But Ian reminds us, you know, mulch, mulch is greater than pine straw. It's free wood chips from tree companies that you can get. So that's a good point. Um, and I had Stan, too, asking a difference in quality between core aeration and liquid aeration when you're starting to think about aerating your lawn and you know for fescue that's going to be coming up here um, in the fall I don't really know a lot about liquid aeration so if some of you do you can definitely uh, educate me a little bit more but core aeration you can't go wrong with that it's so important to add that air to the soil soften it up break it up especially for when you're you know doing um, seeding applications the core aerators penetrate the soil a little bit deeper, leave the plugs in place. When it kicks out those plugs, leave them in, in place, but it also just prepares the soil well for good seed-to-soil contact. That's what that seed needs to germinate, so you're not wasting your money when you're trying to do this for seed. Uh, be prepared to make two or three passes across the yard just to make sure you get enough holes when you're when you're doing aeration as well, not just one pass. I don't think that's going to be enough. 
404-872-0750. Up next now, Scott calling from Marietta. Hey there, Scott. Good morning. Hey, Ashley. How are you? Great. Good to hear from you. Welcome, welcome. Enjoy your show. Listen to you every Saturday morning. Thank you. Ashley, I've got a question for you. Uh, Keeping honeybees in a subdivision surrounding Mm -hmm. what are the requirements what are the or is there any kind of a law against or for or what is the that's a really good question and you're in Cobb County yes Cobb County I know to be very very friendly to stuff like that as far as their ordinances and laws and things like that but I guess maybe it does trickle down to the city in your case Marietta I'm not sure I know a lot of people listening probably are Um, and Becky Griffin man she would have been the wonderful person to answer that for you though she's in Blairsville but I'll tell you what to do Scott if you're really looking into that and and want to start keeping honeybees or even for someone that doesn't have them and a swarm may land on a tree or on a, the side of a building or something in your yard like oh my gosh what do you do there's this swarm of bees and that's what they do and I know it looks scary but it's not but yeah if you're thinking about starting to keep them I encourage that I think that's awesome I would put you in touch with the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association um, that okay. is a very very strong group right here in Metro Atlanta for advocacy education you don't have to be a member to go to any of their meetings I think they've got one coming up in about a week or so. I think they always meet kind of in the downtown Buckhead area. Um, but if you just reach out to the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association, either on their website or find them on Facebook, just search Facebook for that, um, you will have an expert in minutes that will probably answer that for you, someone in Cobb County that knows the rules better than I do. Are you thinking about starting them? Yes. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Would, I, I've seen them in the yard, and actually I had a swarm a few years ago Yeah. Uh, that and I actually purchased the hive, but never was able to catch them. They could, before I got it, they were gone. Yeah. But it was neat to see it and just looking forward to, you know, plus with all the flowers in the area and, the, you know, and they're good for the environment. Yeah. You know, reading up on them and watching the videos and, it's it's definitely a labor of love. It's a lot of work, but it's so, so much fun. And I went up to Blairsville, um, the campus, with, with Becky uh, earlier in the spring, I guess, and got to see the five hives they have up there. And once you get into it, man, you're all in. Like, it's so rewarding, and you get hooked. So I would encourage you to do that. And when you see a honeybee swarm, this is from the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association, when you see a swarm, it means they're looking for a new home. And so right. that group is so mobile that they are able to find a good home for the bees that are swarming, and they give out like a phone number. Call right away when you see a swarm. They'll come out. They'll ask you a few questions about how long you've seen it, what were they hanging out on, you know, how long have they been there, and they find a home. So, um, yeah, no, Scott, I'm really glad you at least gave me the chance to promote the Metro Atlanta beekeepers. Reach out to them, and hopefully they'll give you kind of the basics to get started in, you know, your your city. Great. Thank you. And just just – doing the research and reading about them and watching YouTube videos, you know, they're such an important part of what in, in gardening and, you know, in pop and in doing all the pollination, you know, there's such a, and just thinking of the protecting that. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, I but. think, think about it when you go to the grocery store and buy any kind of food, it doesn't matter short of, you know, meat or dairy or something. I think I, I read a statistic one out of every four things you buy was made possible by pollinators. So if wow. that starts to decline, 
think of the change in our diets and the change in the the shift in the world, really, you know, when we don't have the things that are provided to us by pollinators, how really key that is. And I, you know, I advocate just not, you know, don't go out there and spray pesticides for no reason. If you've got mosquitoes or you've got some, you know, centralized problem or carpenter bees are a pain in the spring, sure, but really target the problem and do all you can to battle the, the unwanted bugs before you go to these wide, you know, swath of, of pesticides, because then you're actually unintentionally harming the things like honeybees that we need, you know, if they're in your area. Correct. Yeah. So, oh, thanks for the research. Hey, Scott, promise me that you'll check back up with me and let me know if you get a hive. And, uh, you know, when you found out the laws in Marietta and Cobb County, like educate me and let me know. I would, I was just hoping to hear something, you know, when you were interviewing, uh, that there were something would have been communicated about that. But I guess, I was a little late calling you. But well, and and I, I had an hour with her, but it went by yeah. so fast. And I mean, I could have I a whole show with Becky <laughs> because we could have just an hour on honeybees alone. So you're you're putting some thoughts in my head, Scott. I may I may, okay. I may go that route, but yeah, no, that was good thinking. Thank you so much, and please let me know what you find out. I definitely will, Ashley. Thank I love it. Have, my call. Yeah, have a good weekend. Great to hear from you. That is so cool. The Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association. Um, find them on Facebook or just metroatlantabeekeepers.org. And good morning to all of you in the group that are listening. We love the work you guys do. 404-872-0750. Good morning, Jan in Milledgeville. How you been? Uh, good. How are you? Very good. Thanks. All right. So I've had a, a, a little plot where we have daylilies. We've had them for probably four years at least since we've lived here. Mm-hmm. And um, they've always done well. They've been beautiful. But this year they've done nothing. And mm. everything's fine. You know, the, I've been taking care of them. Of course, we've had plenty of rain. Yeah. But um, that's, of course, after they bloomed anyway. They bloomed earlier in the year. So I'm thinking, do you think the, the problem might have been, and I've also sprayed for the deer, which love to have the little <laughs> they come out. So I've done everything right, but maybe it's, time for dividing them do you think that's because they're not dead they're just sparse they just they weren't good yeah uh, and a lot of that could be traced back to how they started winding down the season last year like late last summer early fall um, people always need to think about their bulbs in terms of what they're going to do next year. So that's why we always advocate, whether it's with these or daffodils in the spring or whatever, you leave that foliage on um, as long as you can. Once the flowers are done and the leaves are starting to look kind of eh, the longer you can leave the green leaves on there, the better, until they really start to turn brown. I know it's unsightly, but then you cut them. The longer you leave the foliage on at the end of the season, um, it's feeding, you know, nutrients and all of that from the sunshine and photosynthesis and all that back to the root. So that could have been, maybe it was just particularly dry or stressful or something at the end of last summer, and they just get, didn't get to re-energize like they needed to throughout the winter, Jan, so it may not have been anything you did. But I would I would recommend dividing and moving just like you do with iris clumps, too. Um, four years is a bit often. I've actually found that I don't need to do it, but maybe every seven or eight. But that's not oh. a bad idea. Um, and now's the time to do it. Wait maybe a little bit longer until that foliage starts to die away. And then go ahead and start transplanting them. I mean, you know, just don't plant them too deeply. But that's not a bad idea if you've got another good spot for them. Well, I'm going to put them in the same area because there's nothing left in there anymore. You okay. know, we had lilies, and they're just, I don't know what has happened. And, and I, the things you talked about as far as leaving the leaves on, I, I did know to do that. So I don't know. But when it's, I've never divided myself. But So you just kind of take that, uh, that bulb out of the mm-hmm. ground and you split it. 
You do. Uh, you, you just use a really sharp knife or something. And I think when you split it, you kind of want to look at it. You don't just like a potato, cut it right in half. It, it needs to be a little more strategic than that. You kind of look to make sure there's going to be, I think, at least two nodes on each cut. So if that's covered with nodes or little noses, you know, like you want to make sure that even if that's going to make one section smaller than the other, that's okay. There needs to be at least two, maybe three nodes on the piece that you're going to leave by itself once you start dividing them. Okay. And then just put those back in the ground. Yeah, because they they overwinter just fine. Yeah. And, you know, the key to bulbs, too, is not planting too deeply. But, yeah, and make sure they don't stay in a saturated, soggy spot. Um, Yeah, and and again, I can't stress enough Because people, when the daffodils start to fade in the spring They always call and they're like Oh, the leaves are getting so ugly You know, and the flowers are done Can I just cut the leaves? And I always kind of scream like No, no, leave them as long as you can Because that gives energy back So yeah, when you're transplanting and all that Same goes, you know Just even when you're transplanting them If the leaves are even still the least bit green Leave them on there Leave them on there Still just dig them up, divide them And then you can plant them back with the the little leaves still on there It's not going to hurt anything It'll actually help but you did say it is okay to do that at this time of year if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Now that they're all done and they're kind of like starting to shut down for the year, yeah, now's a good time. Okay. Thanks for your help. Always good to hear from you, Jan. Thank you. When we come back, we'll talk to David in Lawrenceville about uh, some kind of bug and weed that he's having an issue with. Angie and Flowery Branch moving a tall Japanese willow and Joe in Jonesboro. If you dry ice in the ground... Will the carbon dioxide kill the insects? Wow, I don't know. Um, and Pike Nursery is going to be coming along at 8.30, keeping the deer away from your gardens. Jan couldn't have said it better just then. The deer are a problem. We got some hints and strategies for you. When we come back, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. It's going to be like 90 degrees for the next five days at least. That's the high and a chance of rain. 40% chance of thunderstorms pretty much every day. I want to get back to your calls. There are some good ones. Verdell in College Park. Did I say your name right, sir? Yes, uh uh-huh. How are you today? I'm doing well. All right, what's what's going on? What are you looking to prune? Well, I got some uh, lantanas, bushes that's real pretty. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're the of variety. Nice. And um, they go real, you know, they go real tall. And I want to pull them back some because they, you know, they're taking up all my. <laughs> <laughs> they are huge, my... right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. So good news, bad news here. Uh, the good news is you don't have to prune them. I mean, lantana does not require pruning. But yes, in your case, I understand you want to. Um, and my mom's got the same. So I started cutting them back. In March or April And I know that seems like Ugh I have to wait that long Because it's unsightly They're going to be twiggy And just kind of ugly And bare throughout the winter But the longer we wait now uh, When you do prune Verdell It puts on new growth And then that new growth Is going to be tender And just coming out When the winter months hit And bam The cold's going to get it 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 risks You know Killing off the whole plant So when we wait Till March or April That chance of that Stark cold has passed And it's going to rebound It's going to grow great You can do a little bit now No major pruning now But if you just need to shape it up right now We're not so close to winter that I'm afraid of that damage So prune some now But the major pruning where you can just go buck wild In March or April is what I recommend Thank you for the call Sorry I couldn't spend more time with you Gotta run News, weather, traffic Uh, Pike Nursery coming up when we return on Green and Growing Green and 
Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. 8.36 on your Saturday morning. 74 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. We will be speaking with Pike Nursery. Charles Lampkin here in just a minute. Go ahead and grab your family, your spouse, your significant other, because you want to know how to keep the deer out of your garden. And you're like, okay, this segment's for me. I got to listen. So while you're grabbing your family members, I want to talk to Joe in Jonesboro first, just because his question really has me curious what's going on. Joe, you've got me intrigued. Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, many years ago I heard that uh, uh, one way to control insects in the garden, uh, you bury pieces of dry ice along the the garden path of where, you, where your flowers are, huh. and uh, as the ice uh, evaporates, the, the CO2 kills the insects because they can't breathe it, but CO2 is good for plants. Yeah. I just wanted to know if that was, that was correct. God, that's really interesting because I had not heard that. Uh, I don't know. I, I do know, like you're saying, when it melts, it produces carbon dioxide, and they recommend you not, you know, let it melt in like a small area that's not ventilated because that buildup of CO2, too much of it is, is bad. Um, so I would imagine, though, if it's melting outside, um, it is so well ventilated and so open outside that I don't think there's going to be a buildup of enough of it to really have an impact, uh, but I don't know. And actually, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're thinking that, and that's a good point, and that kind of, I want to piggyback off of that with mothballs. Uh, folks think about putting mothballs outside for much the same reason, to repel deer or rabbits or any kind of insects or whatever. And that, I have since found out months ago, I said on the show, it's illegal. It's illegal to do mothballs outside because of the toxicity um, and the, you know, danger uh, of those. So, interesting. Just thought I would do a public service announcement there. Thanks for the call, Joe. I I don't know. I, I don't think I would waste the effort. I just don't know that the concentration of carbon dioxide is going to be great enough to really impact anything. Um, and if someone knows any reason why Joe shouldn't try it, let me know. But I'm, I'm not sure. That's really cool. Thank you, Joe. That uh, that had my curiosity peak. Charles, do you have any idea about dry ice out in the landscape? No clue. Never <laughs> heard of that in my 10 years of experience. But I like um, it. I like hearing what people hear, you know, and what they're curious to try. And I am, you know, in no means versed on all of the laws. So I don't see any reason, I guess, why you couldn't. But that's really interesting. I mean, age old things that people have passed down, you know, this is going to work or this is going to repel this, that or the other. So <laughs> I like it. I like that Joe called for that. Well, uh, Charles Lampkin, congratulations. Now Marietta, or uh, manager from the Marietta Pike Nursery to the Holcomb Bridge location. So you all can now say hi to Charles there in the Roswell Alpharetta area. How's it going? It is going great. And well, we're going to talk about the, the deer uh, problem and ways to determine. Trust me, there are a lot of old wives' tales that we may get into on this topic as well. Oh yeah, like you talk about repelling things. Like I said, please do not use mothballs, but people using uh, Irish Spring soap, human hair. I mean, the list goes on and on. And and right. Walter Reeves always said, you know, I'm not going to knock it if I have a caller that calls and swears by it and says it works fine. If it's worked for you, who am I to tell you that it's not going to work? But if it's not scientifically proven, I can't sit here and preach it. But one of the best ones, Charles, for me working for Walter for so many years, answering phones, people would call and say juicy fruit gum, like the stick gum. If you put that in the mole holes, it'll like deter moles from digging in your yard, like tunneling in your yard. Isn't that funny? It is. Like it you is. Just... <laughs> but again, if I haven't tried it and I haven't 
<laughs> I haven't tested it. Okay, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Maybe they, the moles, eat the juicy fruit gum, and they're just so pleased and happy sitting there chewing the gum that they just stop tunneling. Maybe that's that's why it's so effective. I don't know, but I know you guys are going to share with us now more tried and true uh, ways of keeping the deer out of the garden. And y'all recently had a class at all of the stores about keeping deer away, and I heard nothing but great things about the class. So let's start with maybe recommending things that people can plant that the deer don't like. You've got thousands of options. I know you love your hostas. I know you love your daylilies and other things, but there are a thousand other options that maybe you can plant the deer aren't going to be as attracted to, right? True, true. And, and that's the and that's the key word there, that they're not as attracted to. A hungry deer, unfortunately, is going to eat about anything. But you got to think about plants that have a rough texture, a prickly texture, um, a bitter taste, which you wouldn't, we won't know how they taste, but <laughs> or strong scents as well. Um, so when you're thinking about rough textures, uh, junipers, budlia, uh, boxwoods, hollies, even waxy textures, they're not really attracted to. Hmm. Um, prickly, you know, you can go with all, all your varieties of hollies, osmanthus there too. Um, some of your rough foliage perennial plants, uh, lantana, echinacea, coreopsis, uh, to name a few, um, those have always seemed to be less desirable for deer. And then you think about some of your strong scented plants, um, rosemary and lavender and other herbs planted in your perennial gardens have always uh, seemed to work with the majority of the people I've talked to. And then marigolds is probably the the oldest variety that everyone plants um, to deter deer. The, the smell of them is very strong and then their foliage as well isn't um, very fleshy. It's very dry almost. Hmm. Yeah, I had a caller a couple weeks ago. I think his name was Jack, and he said that something was eating the marigolds and just like eating the the flower right off the stem, and it was just the the plant couldn't recover. And I kind of thought, well, I don't know if it's deer, but maybe it was rabbits, you know. So yeah, even if it if the deer don't like it, you're always combating something, whether it's a raccoon or bunnies or something else. But you're right. So something that has a rough texture or waxy texture, and also smells are good too. Um, give us a few more, maybe. Like, I think there's um, Dusty Miller. That's a really cool one in garden beds that has a unique look, almost kind of a whitish look, right? So the, the plant's very unique, but they don't like that? Very popular. It's uh, going to be coming up soon and very popular in your fall plantings, but um, it usually coincides with your pansies and violas, but that, not pansies and violas, they they love those. But um, <laughs> but that Dusty Miller, yes, just the texture itself, kind of, again, that, that dry, almost feeling foliage, you know, that's a real good one, too. And we're, we're just sitting the tip of the iceberg here. I definitely recommend people looking at um, the UGA extension for any additional resources and, and plants that are going to work well in this area. There's a lot more shrubs to list. Um, and then it's just going to be it's just going to be trial and error, planting some things that, that you think might work or that you really don't know. And then, you know, we can get into ways that if you do want to plant your hostas or your pansies in your flower beds, 
ways to maybe deter those deer or keep them off of your plants. Yeah, so I know there's definitely uh, just an extra layer of protection that we can get with some of these products. But real quick, when you mention um, the University of Georgia Extension, you're right, a ton of publications on this very topic, um, scientifically researched kind of stuff where they have looked at this for a number of years. So extension.uga.edu is that website. Um, When you go to the Extension site, which is fantastic, go to Publications, click on Publications, and then you can search specific topics in publications and just put deer resistance or deer repellent or whatever, and you will come up with, I guarantee you, a dozen or two articles um, that have, yeah, charts and graphs and things of plants that are kind of graded um, in their level of resistance. But like you said, Charles, it's key that we let folks know there's not a plant that's 100%. There's just not. No, um, so, no. yeah. So that's why we use the, you know, the word deter. We're trying to deter them or repel them from a scent or something like that. But a hundred percent avoidance is just not possible. So now with the products, a lot of these are safe too. But what could we find in Pike Nursery that'll work? Sure. One one of our go tos and one of our go to vendors is uh, from the Bonide products, and they make a lot of uh, repellents. One is the Bonide Go Away, and it's it's all natural products. There's there's nothing you're going to be spraying on your on your plants or even your your vegetables and things that are going to be edible that uh, are gonna uh, they're going to harm you. The the downside of this is you have to stay on top of this. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes weekly to bi-weekly sprays, um, if a hard rain comes in, it will wash it off. So as far as waterproof, um, there is another product called Liquid Fence yeah. that after three applications, it is good for about a month to to six weeks. Wow. And it is it is a very, very good and one of probably our best-selling deterrents. Um a two-in-one deterrent is the old-time, uh, old, old-time and true malorganite. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your better fertilizers, really light fertilizers, non-burning formula with a stench that the deer and some humans <laughs> don't really <laughs> like. Uh, so it is non-burning. Um, it's a ton of iron, so it's going to green up your lawn uh, and help your plant material as well. I wouldn't use it as often as you might use some of your repellents Mm -hmm. just because you don't need that much fertilizer going. Um, But, you know, you can use malorganite safely about every month to every other month. Yeah, you buy that in a bag at Pike Nursery. It's made kind of of from a a sewage concoction from a company, I think, that's up in Wisconsin or something. Really interesting their website is on how that's made. But, yeah, it smells. I mean, it smells. You need gloves when you, when you uh, you know, sprinkle it down on the ground. But that is two-in-one. You're feeding your plants while keeping them away um, at the same time. So I'm going to put a little bit more on the website about maybe some physical barriers and fencing ideas that you guys have shared. Um, but also, you've got a few, like, what, they, they don't like the motion. You know, if they think a human's walking outside or you let the dog out, any kind of what lights or sounds are probably going to spook them a little bit too, right? As, as long as they just haven't gotten so comfortable that you walk out on your porch and they don't run away. Yeah, motion lights are a good thing. So just on the corners of your house or on your front porch, lights that come on and, and might spook them. Um, making grids uh, in front of your in front of your beds or your plants where, where they walk on. Everyone's seen like the, the cow grids where they won't cross the ropes and step in those metal grids. Yeah. They don't like them. It's kind of the same thing with, with deer. And you can you can make those grids with fishing line, attach little bells to it, um, anything that might make sound when they walk into it too, and that can deter it. And then fences um, might be one of your, your biggest uh, challenges or 
definitely one of your largest uh, um, expenses if if it is that bad. And just remember, uh, you know, the fences need to be at least six feet, if not taller. <laughs> yeah. And you can try natural barriers, too. You would want really thick uh, plants, um, some some things like some of your, your Burford or your Needlepoint Hollies, and just make a dense wall of those and just pick those plants out that get to that six feet or, or plus size. So you can have a natural barrier as, as well. Um, but everyone's going to have a little bit different, you know, problem and the timing of the year too um, is going to be worse sometimes than others. But yeah, those are just some, some of the tips and some of the things that uh, we, we preach to our customers and that I've and that I've picked up along along the years. Yeah, you covered so much. Thank you as far as, you know, different plants to plant, products to use, physical barriers and things we can do just planting a little bit smarter to deter them. And and I noticed in some of the locations, Charles, I just saw our friend Allison at the uh, East Cobb location the other day, and some of the Pike Nurseries have displays right now for pollinators and for little toys for the kids and, you know, butterfly nets and things like that, which is so important. So when you're in the Pike Nursery this weekend, Check that out, too, and get the kids ready because we just had a great conversation with Becky Griffin from the UGA Extension about the Great Pollinator Census coming up on the 19th and 20th. So get the kids involved. Pike has all the fun stuff for that, too. And, Charles, I'm sure we'll definitely be talking more about pollinators later in the month, too. Uh, we will. Yeah. We will. Most of our most of our tables are right now going to have those select pollinators. Our end caps are going to have those. And some of our stores, as, as we talk with this deer, um, um, problem. Um, we'll have tables that have some deer, not necessarily to turn, but not so friendly deer plants, you know, and nice. that's uh, on some of our tables at certain locations. We're going to have that as well. Yeah. Keeping in mind what we talk about here on the show and then making it easy for you to just go into a pike and get exactly what you need. Pikenursery.com. Charles, thank you. And say good morning to everybody there at the Holcomb Ridge store for us. I sure will. Have a great day. You too. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. So when we get back, I'll try to rush through the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. Try to talk to Tanya and David next on WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Mostly cloudy today, hot and humid, scattered showers from now through at least Wednesday. High of around 90. And first the top three and then your calls. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. I wish I didn't have to go. I didn't have time to get through near enough. Number one, it's safe to prune tropical hibiscus plants that you plan to bring indoors when the weather gets cold. Reduce them to a size that'll fit in your sunniest window. Number two, to keep your herbs at their best, harvest often and only take off about 20% of the time when you need them. Number three, pick squash regularly to keep up production, but if the vine wilts, you got to look at the base of the stem for sawdust. That indicates that you have squash vine borers, so be careful. So before we end the show, I want to try to talk to David in Lawrenceville. Hey, David, quickly, what's your question? Well, i got a strange peat plant growing in one of my flower beds, and I kind of like it because it attracts and traps bugs, hmm. but it, I can't identify it. It's kind of an indigenous plant or maybe a weed. It's got uh, round, flat leaves on it. They've got uh, seven points. They grow in an alternating fashion uh, up the stalk and when it was three feet, it was cute. Now it's there's eight feet. It's eight feet tall, and there's seven of them now. So is it kind and of? I can't figure out what it is. Is it like a grassy weed? No, it's a tall stalk, and the and the like I said, the leaves grow in an alternating fashion. Okay. The leaves are hairy on top and bottom. The stalk is hairy. Is the stem? Is the stem purple? No. Okay. It's, it's all green. Okay, because I was thinking poke, and, poke weed. That's not it. 
Um, the we, odd thing is, of all the dead bugs, the dead bugs are being eaten by one or two, I guess, carnivorous bugs that are just picking everybody off. And it's actually picked off the gnats okay. and the mosquitoes in the front yard. So when I asked if it was grassy, I was kind of thinking nutsedge. Though it doesn't have like seven leaves, it has seven little furry parts, a nutsedge weed. But send me a picture, because uh, I don't know, but I'd like to know. That sounds really interesting. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, David. Follow the page. Green and Growing WSB is what you search on Facebook. And post the picture there, or private message it to me, and I'll share it with others. We'll get it identified. I'm sure I know what it is. I just can't think of it right now. Thank you for that. Thank you to everybody who participated in the show today. I will have all of the show notes, the links, the guests up on the Facebook page. Again, Green and Growing WSB. Thanks to Marco. Leo, have a great Saturday.